0: If you will turn with me to first John, we are going to start a brand new series. Short 3-week Christmas series based on first John 1 1 through 4. read all four verses and then I'm going to attempt to tackle verse 1 in the very beginning of verse 2. Verse 1 says that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's go to the Lord and ask his blessing on our time this morning. Lord, I um, I thank you for your word. What a gracious, generous gift you have given us that we can read the very words inspired by the Spirit of God. 2023, we get to read your words. Lord, I am also thankful for your Holy Spirit that illuminates our minds to understand Scripture. That we can study your word, that we can take your word in, and Lord, that we can think about it and we can contemplate on it. And your Holy Spirit moves to make it make sense to us and then moves in our lives, Lord, to help it transform us and change us. But if you had not sent Jesus, there would be no sending of the Holy Spirit. If you had not sent Jesus, there would be no good news for us to be gathering around to celebrate. If you had not sent Jesus, Father, simply there would not be life. But because you sent the word of life, we may have life. And have it more abundantly. It's in his name, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So using this text, we are going to begin our annual Christmas series. Now this text is not normally thought of as a Christmas passage. It's not like the synoptic gospels where they're telling a narrative and we can just kind of work through the story. It's not a passage you would probably pick if you were wanting to uh, tell the story of Christ's birth. And and while all of that may be true, what we have in this passage is the doctrine of Christmas. What we have is, is an explanation of what Christmas means and why it is important to our lives. However, I just want to let you know, this is a text that needs some untangling because it is a grammatical tangle. One of my favorite uh, short stories ever written is Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, it is it. It's genius, y'all. It is flat out genius. Uh, it is one of my favorite Christmas stories. I love every adaption that they make into film, but nothing beats the original book. Um, Perhaps Chris, or uh, what does he say? Um, perhaps Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe it means a little bit more. Um, the Grinch's heart growing three sizes. The um, the story of how he comes to recognize what Christmas is all about, uh, and he doesn't even have to say Jesus for all of us to know he's talking about Jesus. It's my favorite short story. But just like with any of Dr. Seuss's books, um, he adds a lot of witches and whos and thats and, and, and yous and us and, and which is talking to who and why. And, and so it becomes this thing that you kind of have to untangle. And so today, as we look through this t- uh, text, there is a lot of what is which. And who is we and what does we have to say about which to you? It gets a little confusing. These pronouns that are used in these first four verses can get a little confusing. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to attempt to break these pronouns up a little bit for us so that we can look at what is being said and we can leave here better understanding the word of life. John starts by saying, that which was from the beginning. So we need to stop right there and we need to ask the question, what is the that which? Right? He starts, that which. We probably need to identify what he means by that which. That which was from the beginning. What was from the beginning? That's where we're starting. That's where John starts. Now, modern day readers who have the entirety of the New Testament, when we read that which was from the beginning, it is very, it's hard for us to avoid seeing an allusion to the teaching found in the fourth gospel, in the beginning was the word, right? So as soon as we read that which was from the beginning, modern day readers go, oh, well, I know that John wrote the fourth gospel, and in the fourth gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word, and here he says that which was from the beginning, there's an illusion that we immediately make. And I think because John writes both of them, we probably should be able to look at both and see what John is talking about and how the two are connected. In John's gospel, when he says, in the beginning, he means a time before creation Began. When he says, in the beginning was the word, he's talking about a time before creation began. So we should probably start there. I think it's a good place to start. The that which, in 1 John 1, those first two words, that which, was from the beginning. This... Whatever he's talking about here is an everlasting, eternal existing. So whatever the that which is, it is something that has existed before everything else existed. It is eternal. It is everlasting. Now, some people try to argue that this is simply the message of the gospel that has always been in the mind of God. Some people say, they read this, and they immediately, especially those that try to um, fight against the divinity of Christ, they will say that this is simply the message of what God is going to do on the earth, and it was always in his mind. So the that which was from the beginning is the message of the gospel. But the next phrase eliminates that possibility. This is not simply the message of the gospel. When he says that which was from the beginning, he's not just talking about a message. Because John goes on to say that whatever this that which is, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, and we have touched. You cannot touch a message you cannot look upon based on what this greek word means you cannot look upon a message john here is saying this is not just a message that was in god's mind this is more than that this is something that we saw, something that we looked upon, something that we heard, something that we touched. John is saying the, the that which is a person. That which was from the beginning is a person. Of course, there is only one person that John could be referring to, and that is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Word of the Father. John is saying we. Now, who's the we he's talking about? We've identified the that which. The that which is Jesus. Jesus, who was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon, which we have touched. Next question, who is the we? Well, I think because John is including himself in this, I think he's talking about the apostles. He's saying, we who were with Jesus every single day for three days, we got to be with him. We heard him, we saw him, we looked upon him, we touched him. So what I want to do is I want to take these four things that he says the apostles got to do, hear, touch, touch. See, look upon. I want to break these down for a minute just kind of define them to help us understand what it is he's exactly talking about. Number one, heard. For three years, these apostles heard the parables, the sermons, the private words of instruction from Jesus. For three years, they got to hear the public teaching. They got to hear the private teaching. They heard the way that he confronted the wicked religious leaders. He, they, they heard the way that he spoke grace to the sinner. They heard the way that he said, don't, let, don't keep these children from me. Bring these children over here. They heard Jesus with their ears. This isn't just some kind of supernatural spiritual hearing. This is everyday hearing. They heard Jesus talk. Now, we haven't got a chance to do that yet. We don't know what his voice sounds like. You know what I mean? We don't know what that human voice sounds like. Maybe higher than you think. Maybe lower than you think. We don't know what it sounds like. John does. John knows what the voice Of Yeshua of Nazareth sounds like because he heard it with his own ears. That which was from the beginning, I heard him. I heard him. I heard him talk. Number two, seen with our eyes. This is not some kind of spiritual seeing. It's not what this word means. It's an an actual experience of seeing Jesus with physical eyes. Jesus was a real man, flesh, blood, and bone, who the apostles got to look at every day with their eyes. They were eyewitnesses to that which was from the beginning. Let that just sink in. That which was from the beginning, John says, we saw him with our eyes. We are eyewitnesses to what it was he did. We don't know what Jesus looks like, do we? I don't know what he looks like. I mean, there's all kinds of pictures that I do know this. He wasn't a white European man. So when you see pictures of Jesus, you know, painted and he's a white European man, I do know he don't look like that. What does Billy Graham say? Jesus was in Africa long before he was in Europe. I don't know what he looks like. How thick is that beard that he has? How long is that hair? How short is he? How tall is he? I don't know. John does. John does. John got to see him every day. John knows what he looks like. Number three, looked upon. Now, here John is not just repeating himself. The, the word involves a long Searching gaze. Some translate it beheld. The apostles beheld or watched Jesus intently for years to see who he was. It's one thing to glance at something, isn't it? You may just glance at something and move on your way and then you forget. What was that? What color was that thing that I saw? Where was that thing at? And the older I get, the, the, I mean, I'm, listen, those of y'all that have been around here for a while, I came here when I was 12, okay, 12 years old. And for a long time, I was just the young man on staff, right? I was the, the, the young guy that worked with the kids. The, the, I'm 45. I'm a middle-aged man now. I'm not a young man anymore. So now we got Tyler. We are getting, you know, let's get, let's get young men in here. I, and now that Tyler's here, it's very evident like, oh, I'm not Tyler's age anymore. <laughs> and the older I get, the more it's like, if you glance at something, you are not going to remember what that thing was. <laughs> How many of those were over there? I know I saw it, but it's not going to happen. John here is using the word that means to gaze at, not glance at. To behold, to look at intently, to take in what you are seeing, to to contemplate it and to comprehend it. That's what John is saying here. John is saying, listen, we heard what he had to say. We heard the way that he talked and the things that he talked about. And we, we looked at him with our eyes, but we didn't just see him with our eyes. We also beheld who he was. We took it in. We got to know his character and his nature, the kind of person that he was. For three years, they got to do that. Number four, they touched with their hands. They touched with their hands. The apostles would have touched Jesus all the time. He was their companion. He was their friend. They got to hug him. They got to eat with him. They got to laugh with him. I love that scene in The Chosen where Jesus plays a game with the disciples. It's the rock-tossing game, I think, right? There's no doubt they would have done stuff like that with Jesus. Touching him. John rests his head on Jesus the night before he dies. Jesus was flesh and bone. But this phrase means more than just to, to simply touch. It also can be translated handled. It denotes examining closely, groping or feeling after. We laid hands upon this man. I examined this man. I, I, I got to touch this man. I, I, I got to handle this man. This was, a, this was a real man. So that which was from the beginning, this person that existed before time existed, I got to hear him and see him and gaze upon him and touch him. Real Life with Jesus every day for three years, hearing Him publicly and privately, having direct personal acquaintance with Him, beholding His life, examining Him closely. Now the question is, why is John starting his letter this way? Why would John start a letter by saying, this Jesus is not just some spiritual floaty aberration of god but he was a human being that we heard that we saw that we beheld and that we touched well there was a group of people named the gnostics and one of the things they said a whole lot of bad things but one of the things that this group of gnostics were running around saying is that jesus did that jesus did not come in the flesh In fact, they said not only was he not flesh, he did not even touch flesh. He actually floated on top of the ground. The Gnostics did not believe Jesus was flesh and bone and walked. So when John says, that which was from the beginning, this Jesus, this Yeshua of Nazareth, he wasn't just some ghost, he wasn't just some spirit He was a man. And we heard him, and we touched him, and we saw him, and we hung out with him, and we ate with him. He was a man, flesh and bone. He was the God-man. Of course, to believe that he was not a human being, flesh and bone, like we were, would change the entire definition of the gospel, would it not? So for John, this was the Gnostic infiltration of the church would be to redefine the gospel. And so John is saying at the very front of his letter, listen, the Gnostics are teaching you something that is anti-gospel. It is anti-Christ. I know Jesus was a human being because I was an eyewitness to it all. I was an eyewitness to it all. They also taught that salvation was about reaching a transcendent divine knowledge that was only available to the spiritual elite. The Gnostics believed that the only way that you could be saved, that your soul could be saved, was for you to reach some spiritual transcendent divine knowledge that was beyond the flesh, and that only some spiritual elite could reach that place. John is again destroying that notion of the Gnostics. He's doing so by claiming, I was a fisherman. I was no spiritual elite. I was just an average guy that Jesus came to save. I have salvation not because I've reached some pinnacle of spiritual knowledge, but the ultimate spiritual knowledge reached me by becoming like me, by becoming a human being that I could hear and touch and sit with and talk with. He's not here just for the spiritual elite. He's actually here for those that realize they're not the spiritual elite. Jesus was for all fishermen, tax collectors, zealots. Certainly not those that considered themselves spiritual elites. So here's what we got to understand as we take this and put this into a Christmas series. Christmas is Jesus. Now, we we can wrap Christmas in a whole lot of festive stuff, and I am all for it. I am not one of these guys that says we need to get rid of the, the physical, tangible things and, and, and just focus on the person of Jesus Christ. My point is Jesus Christ came to give purpose to the physical, tangible things. Not to remove them. Now, in Sunday school this morning, um, I share this with my class. And um, in case your teachers fail to teach you properly. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Dale, mom, David. I mean, gosh, what are, what are we doing? What are we doing? No, but one of the things that, um, that struck me in, in the text is that Jesus shows up after his resurrection. He shows up in the, in the room that they're hiding out in, right? And they've been t- they're talking about, you know, these, Jesus appeared to the women, and, and Peter's probably already seen him. And, and so they're talking about these things, and Jesus shows up. And they, they think he's a spirit. They think he's a ghost. They're freaking out. Jesus calms them down. He, he lets them know, listen, I'm not a ghost. Uh, you, you come touch my hands and my feet. You can touch me. I'm, I'm, I'm not a spirit. And then he says, got anything to eat? And you're just like, what? Why in the world? First of all, the first question that pops in your mind is, well, was he hungry? I mean, I guess he hasn't eaten since Friday. No, Jesus was not hungry. Jesus could have eaten before he didn't need to show up to the disciples for them to cook for him. I mean, he could have called an angel to make him some food if he needed it. So I'm like, why does Jesus say, do you have anything to eat? And I think there's a lot of reasons for this. I think, number one, to continue to show them I'm not a spirit. Watch me eat this food. The last time I was with you, what did we do together? We ate. But I think another thing is, is he wanted to take the the Bible says that they were they were filled with joy and they were marveling. Now, I, I know if I would have been there, I would have been I would have been transfixed and kind of removed from the reality of the world for a minute. Like nothing else would have mattered. Nothing else would have would have mattered except for this moment, Jesus being here. But Jesus did not want the disciples to live kind of this otherworldly, unearthly life. He was bringing them right back down to reality, and he was saying, "My resurrection matters in the real world. The physical stuff now will be viewed differently, but it still matters." Let's eat. Christmas trees matter. Not because they're a decoration, but because Jesus has come to make Christmas trees matter. He's come to make your presents matter. He's come to make your hot chocolate matter. See, we can get all, we can get so otherworldly spiritual that we miss what Jesus came to do. There's a reason why Jesus is going to come back and make his home with us on the earth because he's going to be in a flesh and blood, bone, body and so will we on this earth eating and drinking and being physical forever. The Gnostics had this idea that it was unphysical. Unreal world. And John is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus came to be of this earth. And he came for people who are of the earth to change the earth forever. Christmas is Jesus. So we can we can watch the Christmas movies and we can put up the decorations and we can sing songs like White Christmas and you know what? It means something. Next thing. Jesus is life. He says, that which was from the beginning, Jesus, which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. This again causes us to go to John 1, does it not? In the beginning was the word, and here it's word of life. Don't you think John's, do- John's not doing this on accident? The Holy Spirit's not moving in John to just randomly have these same language in both books that he's writing. No, these are supposed to be thought about together. In verse four of John chapter one, it says, In the beginning was the word, and then it says, And in him was life. In 1 John, he now says, The word of life. This word of life is a person. When John writes, in the beginning was the word, it's a person. This word was life. Life was in him. Here he calls concerning the word of life. He's saying this is a person. This is the source of all life. He is the life. He does not borrow life from someplace else. He doesn't have to go grab life from somewhere else and bring it to you. It is in him. All of life is in him. And to have Christ is to have life. When someone creates or when someone is created or something is created, it comes into being, it becomes this life that John is talking about here does not come or become. It was and always has been. So he's not having to get it. He's not having to bring it about. He's not having to create it. It's not coming from someplace else. It's him. All other religions have a leader that point to life. Jesus does not come simply to point to life. He comes to be the life. You see the difference? Other religions, what they offer, what they point to, their leader is pointing to where life is. Their leader is is wanting you to look where eternal life is. Jesus comes and says, oh, you want to look where eternal life is? Look right here. Look at this human being who was from the beginning. That's where you need to look. I don't have to point you or, or, or have you look someplace else. That's why Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life to Martha. That's why he says to disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christianity answers this plainly. Life is Jesus. Jesus prayed in John seventeen three, and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So to have spiritual life means that you have Jesus and without Jesus there is no life. You are spiritually dead without Jesus. That is why John is calling him the word of life. And the last thing I want us to see, we'll stop after this and Brother James will pick up next week. But at the beginning of verse 2, it says, The life was made manifest. Here, again, here. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh. Here, the Word of life was made manifest. Was made manifest. This is what Christmas is all about, is it not? That the word of God, the word of life, the eternal life from the Father, the eternal word from the Father became flesh. Incarnate, among us, with us, one of us. We were dead with no life whatsoever, so the Father manifested life to us. That baby that was born of a young virgin was life in the flesh. That baby that cried And had to be nursed and changed and taught how to walk and crawl and eat solid food. That young man that learned the trade of his father, how to be a a, a carpenter. That young man that studied the Torah and the prophets and the Psalms. That Man was the eternal life manifested to us. The life of the world. And John got to hearing. John heard the life speak. John saw the life with his own eyes. He beheld the life. He touched the life because the life had been manifested. He had been made flesh. He became a human being. God made flesh. Life made manifest. So this is John's powerful statement for us at Christmas time. Jesus is the life. He is nothing less than the life of the world. John is an eyewitness to this Jesus, to the word of life manifested. His conclusion is that Jesus is the life of the world. After spending three years with him, after watching and listening and touching and beholding, his conclusion is, my friend Jesus is the life Of the world. My friend Jesus. Is God. His conclusion is not that Jesus is a helpful religious leader. Where you can add some of his teaching to your life. To become a better person. Or to have a better life. That's not John's conclusion. John's conclusion isn't hey. Take him if you want him. Take some of the good parts and maybe some of the teaching that you like and mingle it with your own philosophies and see if you just don't have a better life after looking at Jesus that way. That is not John's conclusion. By the way, that was none of the conclusions of those who heard him and saw him and spent time with him for three years. They all had the same conclusion. He is God in the flesh. He is the only way to have life. And without him, you have no life. That was their conclusion. We live in a world today that's okay with Jesus as long as you don't think that Jesus is the life of the world. As long as Jesus is a religious teacher or, or a, a good prophet that maybe came to share some good things or to, to teach some good principles to life. But when you take that next step and you say that he is God in the flesh and the only way to have life, now they reject it. The problem is the Jesus who t- just taught good things to add to your life never existed. That's a Jesus that you have made up in your own mind. So that you can take some of his stuff and keep living in your sin and not ever have to repent of being your own God. That's why why the world is simply okay with that Jesus. But the Jesus that John is talking about here, he's going to change you. He's going to give you new loves. He's going to give you new desires. He's going to change you. What was it, Brother James? Get me out of here, but don't touch me. (laughs) C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he presents Jesus as three options. He says, either Jesus is a crazy person on the same level as someone who believed they are a poached egg, He's either a crazy person because of the stuff that he claimed and the things that he taught. He's crazy. Or he's a devil. By the way, during his lifetime, he was accused of being both those things, crazy and a devil. Or he is who he said he was. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. That's right. And people try to add legend to it. The only problem is if you study history long enough and you study any of the, the historical accounts following or during that time period, there is no question whatsoever Jesus existed as a human being. There is no question he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. There is no question that his believers... Believed he resurrected from the dead. He's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. John, an eyewitness to Jesus, has made his conclusion. And he's writing this conclusion to make sure the church understands exactly who he is. So what about us? Do we see Jesus the way that John saw Jesus as the word of life made manifest? Is Jesus your life? I'm not talking about is Jesus part of your religious belief. Is he your life? Is he the one that makes sense of everything? Everything. You do do you value him in such a way that you would say, without him, I would have no life? So there's a difference between believing what John is saying here and just being a person religiously that's devoted to Jesus. I'll come on Sundays. I might even come to Sunday school, and I might send my kids on Wednesday nights. You know, Brother James talking about giving a Christmas offering. I'll I'll do that. that's That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Jesus who is the life of the world. He is the center of everything else in your life. Church, if we say yes, then do we proclaim him that way by word and deed to the world in that way? Do we live in such a way, do we speak in such a way that the world wouldn't say I'm a religious person, but that I'm a Jesus freak? That I'm a Jesus follower. That Jesus is the center of my entire existence. See, there's a difference. John certainly sees him as the word of life. Church, there is no Merry Christmas if Jesus is not the word of life made manifest. It's not. There's no point to any of this. I mean, I guess we can eat eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's no point. But if Jesus is the word of life made manifest, that changes everything. And all of us must reckon with that reality. Who is Jesus? John wrote this first four verses and wrote this first verse to make it very clear. He is the word of life. He is the life of the world.